Welcome to the Narrow Way podcast with Micah and Royce, where we discuss modern conservative ideas, self-improvement, applied philosophy, faith, technology, and much more. Thank you for joining us all today. How are you doing, sir? Wonderful, wonderful. You? Good. Our topic of discussion for today, an analysis analysis of a surveillance state. Mm. Interesting. So let's talk about privacy. Oh, or yeah. Privacy, as privacy. the Brits like to call it. Privacy. Your privacy. Mm-hmm. My privacy has been violated. Mm-hmm. So, first off, I'll ask, do you feel like you have a private life? Mm. I think, I think everyone does to an extent. Uh, to be classified as a private life, um, I wouldn't say so. I think just because um, being a pastor, you know, there's certain things that you're going to be in the public eye a lot and and around people consistently enough that it's going to be hard to to keep keep that balance of private life. To me, a private life is I can go home and shut my door and no one's going to bother me, you know, type thing. Whereas I think with me a lot, and, and I've chosen this, you know, uh, but with me it's the door's always open, you know, if, if someone needs help. If somebody's in a position where they need to talk to somebody or, or do something, then, then I need to make sure that, you know, I at least have the door cracked if it's not open. <laughs> So that, okay, you need this? Okay, all right. <laughs> you know, uh, no, but uh, so I, I, I think that that can determine a lot of things for people, you know, their profession, you know, if they're more sales oriented. A lot of people, nine to five, I'm done, but people that are, need sales goals and sales numbers many times will leave their private cell phone number and things. You, you need me, call me. Here's my private cell, you know, uh, because there's that desire so much in there foregoing or, or relinquishing a lot of their privacy because they want to get those things done and be available at any point to people. And same with like doctors, you know, surgeries yeah. happen. They've got to be there. It doesn't matter what time, you know, if, if they're on call, you know, and usually they're, they're, you know, scheduled, but I know there's times also where, you know, somebody can't go in and you're the next man up. And so they call you and you got to go in and do it, you know. And so it's interesting. So you made a distinction between your private life and your essentially public life. Mm. And the first that I could find, the first distinction of this being made was by Aristotle in um, ancient Greece. He was the one that sort of talked about, defined like, people's public life versus their private life. And everybody has one. Sure. Right? Everybody has a certain amount of their life that they will allow either the general public or their friend group to see. Maybe it kind of a tiered system. Maybe they'll allow the general public to see this amount, their close friends to see this amount, their family to see this amount, and then nobody to see this, what's behind door number four, you know. Yeah. But so... That concept of privacy or having a private life, 
didn't start until, at least in recorded history, didn't start till ancient Greece. Yeah. Which I found in and of itself kind of interesting because we think like that idea of a private and public life is kind of baked into our everyday experience. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't always that way, you know. And it's hard to tell without being there what it was like in ancient times, you know, maybe in Egypt or Mesopotamia or just in tribal life. Like, if there was a distinction made and it just wasn't talked about, like, or if it was truly a tribal, like, there was no such thing as privacy inside of a tribe. I thought about that a lot. But then it's like, okay, where does our modern understanding of privacy come from? And why do we need it? And really the, the, the modern American idea of privacy comes from, stems from the Constitution because the forefathers were having, they felt their privacy or their private life, especially the religion, religious life, was being violated by the crown. And so they sought to, they wanted to guarantee in this new experiment that we, they called America, <laughs> right? They wanted to guarantee the certain rights to privacy. So you have the first amendment, which guarantees the, the freedom of consciousness of freedom of thought, opinion, freedom of opinion. It all kind of stems from, um, Essentially, it's freedom of religion, of, uh, and you can say freedom of speech. You can believe what you want. You can say what you want yep. without fear of the government putting you in prison, silencing or you, yeah. silencing you. And then the fourth, so that was the, the first pillar, and then you have the Fourth Amendment, which is, I don't have any of these committed to memory. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not a... Uh, constitutional scholar but the fourth amendment um, protects you against unreasonable search and seizure by the government that's why you need a warrant or the the government needs a warrant if they want to search your house they have to have a a reason a documented reason for doing that they can't just come willy-nilly and say we want to see what's inside your house and then subsequent court rulings also put into effect that even if we find something, if we broke the Fourth Amendment and we found something, incriminating evidence that caught you doing something in a place that you weren't supposed to be or that they weren't supposed to be or at a time that they weren't supposed to be there, that is not admissible in a court of law. Which is interesting why that came about. Because it's like almost like, well, if I caught them doing something wrong, all bets are off, right? I think you it's another think. layer of protection from the government yeah. of the people. So if the government breaks the Fourth Amendment mm-hmm. to find incriminating evidence and then they still prosecute you anyway, it kind of negates the whole relevance of the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. So if you have police officers or government officials that break are able to violate the fourth amendment without consequence because they're by nature somewhat self-regulating. Yeah. Um, 
and that's a weakness in and of itself. But they can get around the Fourth Amendment, present a court of present evidence in a court of law that they obtained outside of the purview of the Fourth Amendment and still get a, an incrimination, they win. But that's violate that's a violation of privacy still. So they put that into effect to discourage that the violation of people's Fourth Amendment rights. It's like, okay, even if they find something, it's as if it doesn't exist. Yeah. Because you ca- it cannot be used to incriminate you. You know, it's the classic, like, drug guy, you know. A cop can, can't just go walk up, open a guy's door, or kick in somebody's door and say, ah, there's the drugs, you're going to jail. Because all he has to do is counter-argue that they didn't have a warrant, you know. That's a very powerful thing in the shaping of our culture is this Fourth Amendment right. And then you have the Fifth Amendment right, um, which is you have the right to not incriminate yourself, essentially. You have the right to remain silent. That's where the Miranda rights stem from is Mm -hmm. you... Do not you are not obligated to incriminate yourself in the legal system under any circumstances. You do not have to confess to anything. Um, obviously, it gets very convoluted in more technical cases, but the right is still there. It's a fundamental right in American society of you do not have to incriminate yourself. You do not have to present evidence that incriminates yourself. If you do not have to present personal effects necessarily that directly incriminate yourself. And it could, like I said, it gets complicated obviously in, in circum- different circumstances, but those three constitutional amendments, part of the Bill of Rights, really laid the foundation for our modern idea of privacy. Which I and I and like my question too on on the Fourth Amendment, like if they find something then all bets are off, but then you think, well, how is that not planted? That could be abused. Right. If somebody breaks into a house with, you know, and the cop has something against that person, they can plant things. And so that kind of gives that protection there of the possible corruption of the cop side to where he wants to see this person go to jail because, you know, whether he's seen things and he can't prove it or he, he's got this really strong belief that this person's doing the wrong thing. It can protect people that are actually innocent from that and and keeps people from getting falsely accused, I guess, on that spot. Because I was just trying to think, well, hold on, if we, okay, I agree that we should have a right to privacy and they shouldn't be able to just burst in our door. But if they've burst in our door, risking themselves knowing that and they find something, I'm like, well, why wouldn't they? But then you think, well, hold on, we've got centers that are cops too (laughs) that could... Imp- that could plan and I especially thinking of Russia you know I'm like yeah. okay that's especially common you know a kid could be common in that aspect in in that situation and so yeah that that protects the people from the police being able to just yeah come in and, and plan go hog wild do whatever home, yeah. they want mm-hmm. and and these three things are not even close to universal in the world on the world stage yes. this is pretty unique concept of, of privacy in reference to most other countries. There, I mean, there are some developed Western countries that have variations 
most of them not as strong. Um, but you talk about some like a place like Russia or China or even Australia, and a lot of that goes out the window. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 it could, that'd be scary to not have that in effect. But so that's kind of where the the concept comes from, and we we operated under that concept for you know several hundred years until the internet rolled around. Mm-hmm. And that kind of change, technology kind of changed the game a little bit. So, if we choose to engage with the internet, and well, here's a question for you. At this point in time, 2024, can you choose, can you live in modern society and still choose to not engage with the internet? As crazy as this sounds, I would say I would think it's how you're raised because there are people that cannot. and Like they don't have the ability to? Like like they would never choose to. I, I, I would say that because okay. um, of how convenient, how expedient, how just it, it's able to, to – it's so efficient in, in, in its uh, – when you use it and just how it's how it's applied in so many areas um and so positive there's so many good things about it now probably just as many good there's you can give case for a bit there being bad sure and and i know people that purposefully do not have internet in their house they they keep it off including phones phones when they're at home they turn off the data, turn off all that stuff to make sure there's no internet in their home. They still have phones that have internet on them, though. Well, they don't use that. They So they turn the data off and the and all of that. Yeah, the phones do have internet, okay. but they don't use them in the home. So so to make sure that their, their home is an internet-free zone. and Those are pretty rare these days. Oh, very rare. Even even among conservatives and Christian circles. like that, Even among that, the most extreme yes of these Mm -hmm. and so to say is it possible yes i i've seen it and Mm -hmm. and it's not like they're disconnected from society it's not like oh they have these problems or they're weird or no it's they're normal people they just have seen that when they're when the internet is in the home it it consumes so much of our time totally agree yeah but I'm I'm taking it a step further and when I say engage with the internet, I mean it all. Mm-hmm. At work, at home, anywhere in between. Like, is it possible to have absolutely zero engagement with the internet in your life you'd in twenty twenty? You'd have to ask you'd have to think what professions don't use the internet. Also getting fewer and fewer. Because like I'm trying to think of one. So um I would say I was thinking you know sanitation workers, but they probably have a GPS of where they're supposed to go. Like even like a bus driver, we're not allowed to use our GPS, but it's going in the background so we can hear the directions. Mhm. Um 
most people get their work in even construction workers, blue collar yeah, workers, a lot too. of them get information via email. Yep. Um, about jobs, where to go, what to do. Um, so the only, the only way, maybe like a, a really small town repair man that knows where everybody's house is, you know, something like that. That's what I'm trying to think of. But, but even it's, it's not even that it's like what profession doesn't, hasn't been improved by the internet. That's really what you have to ask yourself. Even if you make wooden birdhouses in your garage with all manual tools or, you know, basic power tools, how do you sell them? Mm-hmm. Well, the best way is to sell them on the internet. Yep. I mean, you can take them to farmer's markets and stuff, but how do you find out about those farmer's markets? Mm-hmm. So what, a sign hanging up at the local diner? You know yep. what I mean? Like, I agree. I think it's possible. Yeah. It would take so much effort to purposefully disengage 100%, but I think at some point it may become impossible. And you're almost doing yourself a disservice. Oh, absolutely. By doing it because of how it's improved every facet. And not improved in, improved, I would say, financially and effectiveness in efficiency, all all those aspects, you know. Um, yeah, the only one I could see is, is, a, is a business that existed before the internet that everybody knows about and they have a reputation and people just go there, you know, because they've always gone there. Yeah. But how do they accept payments? Yeah. Cash. Cash would be it. Cash and check. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Those are your only two true. options outside of the internet. It's the internet yep. Like, I mean, if you really start to follow all the little oh, yeah. strings, it's pretty tough. Oh yeah. There's a little clothing store down in Central Oregon that I go to a lot. And small town, of course. Mm-hmm. And they just got a card reader like last year, you know, or a couple years ago. And they still will write out on carbon copies, oh, yep. paper receipts, like one pair of jeans, one, you know, necktie. And you get that, that receipt. They keep for their records, and if you pay with card, you get the little card receipt. But, I mean, they operated most of the time, and they still have a stack of magazines that they order from. Like, oh, you want, we can order this. Let's open up this magazine and look at it. Not a computer in the place. Oh, wow. It's it's a time capsule. Yeah. But they still, then I was, because I was thinking about them, I'm like, what's their connection? Oh, that's right, card reader. You know? They're still plugged in. Yeah, even they are. Yeah. So we all engage with the internet. Yep. Should the same rights, but the internet is is really, it's a tool. It's a, it's a system. It's, it's a lot of things, but it's not real life. And I, I I don't even think the, the internet is a new unidentifiable thing. Because there's never been anything like it in the past. Right. I, I think you gotta if you gotta classify it as something, it's it's a it's a tool, right? Yeah. 
I, I guess, like you said, it's mostly information. Okay. That's well. I mean, it's fundamentally it's a network yeah. of information. Yeah. Network of things. But it's not real life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it interfaces with real life, but in and of itself, it's not real life. It's not living. So we've established these rights to privacy or rights to a level, a certain privacy. Should the same rules apply to the internet? It's like when you're at your work, you work a job. There are certain things you can't say at some jobs. Or you'll get fired. And people abide by those things. And those same things would be protected under the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. But your employer, you elect to relinquish relinquish that when you are at your place of business. Or even when you're some employers, when you're not at the place of business, you cannot say certain things. So you voluntarily give up a certain amount of privacy when you go to work for someone, right? Does the same thing apply to the internet? Yeah, which is interesting because especially remember when that whole U2 movement was happening and Me Too, sorry. Me Too thing, not U2. Me Too. Yeah, the whole Me Too movement was happening and people were getting fired from places of work for things that they had said years ago. That, that weren't even, or things that they'd done so long ago. And how were they able to find and obtain this information? The internet, you know, that, yeah. that, that stuff came out as a result of that. And, and it, it's also a, such a powerful way of spreading information of being able to say, all right, I found something bad about this person. Here it is for everybody to see. And we saw that too, you know, and, and, Donald Trump was really adamant about these news agencies that are doing false news need to have some kind of accountability because they're putting on the front page where millions of people are looking a lie about him and it's later proved and they redact it later on page nine, you know, whatever, somewhere where it's legal that they have to do. They'll redact it later, but that's never publicized. And so people go away with this truth in mind. And it's not just on the conservative side. On the liberal side as well, it's everywhere. It's just the false information that is present all over the place. It's just a problem with the technology, yeah. first and foremost. Yeah. But the Internet's such a weird one because there are certain things that you use the internet for that are private, like your banking information. Mm-hmm. Nobody's taxes. supposed to be able to access that taxes. Yeah. But then there are things that you're on the internet, the same internet for that are public, like your Facebook profile, you have public that anybody can look up and see information. You've chose to put that in the public domain. Yeah. But do the same. And lawmakers, I think are still grappling with this, obviously, because it's so new. But do you think that the same rights apply to the internet? I, I think we're going to get to a place where they somewhat have to. Yeah. And, and because you have that same, you know, problem, like we talked about with 
the the good cops versus the bad cops of well somebody has an agenda against you and they're going to just slander you to no end online to where your credibility is completely shot well there needs to be random ramifications for that and it's like we kind of saw in the um Johnny Depp and Amber Heard that was so popular because really it was a girl coming out speaking against him and and yet they took it to court and then it became oh wait this is not what we all thought it was and and that was Johnny Depp's main case is like I've been slandered so bad by her accusations that I can't get a jo- acting job anywhere anymore I've been fired from many of these stable you know jobs that I've been getting and and we can talk all we want to about well he's got the millions what is he what if that was you and you lost your job because a coworker said something about you online and and put something and so so those those ramifications people didn't used to give any credibility almost to the internet but now because we're advancing and things are growing and there's somewhat filtration in there to make sure that this isn't just bots spouting all this crazy stuff, but these are actual people and you can verify that they're people through certain things that, okay, this is verifiable evidence. This is verifiable news now. And so there's ramifications that are outside of online. And it's interesting because we talk about privacy. Look at all the trolls online nobody wants their name to be out there on the internet nobody wants to use their real name on you know x or twitter or or these facebook these places that you know they that they want to give their real opinion and see what the reaction is um but not have the consequences of having that opinion so if we looked at the internet and we just said outside of personal information that's that's used for verification or used for things like banking tools commercially yeah commercial uses and we say that okay you do not have the same rights to privacy on the internet that you do in your personal life like it's an extension only of your public facing life how much do you think that would change how people use the internet? Like if, okay, I can go on the internet, but I have to use my real name and everything on my, we'll just say use social media for an example. Everything on my social media is public. So if I put something on social media, a photo, a video, um, a post, a tweet or whatever, it's 100% public and it's tied to my name. Like every account is verified kind of thing. How do you think that would change? Like, and that had to be everyone. Like you could only have one account and everybody knew it was you. Oh, it would drastically change it because that, that gives an accountability to every conversation. And what's interesting about the internet is because it's so vast. I mean, you, you can Google almost anything and find a Reddit or or some kind of post, something somebody said about some kind of information. So imagine if every conversation ever said was now tied to the people who said it and talked about it. Uh, that, that changes the whole game. 
because the very the very desire for privacy I think stems from the fact of we're scared to tell people what we really think. We don't know how they'll react. What if I'm not accepted because I believe this way? And so there's this there's this fear. I think originally, like we said, it's it was from persecution because that's where it stemmed from, from religious persecution. So we want to create a place where there's none of that. But then but now it's become in our society this well, because everything is so everywhere and one post can change your life. I don't want to be posting under myself, you know. Do you think it would be better though to have that setup, at least in the the social media aspect? Like everything you put online would be traceable to you by every other user of the internet. Do you think that would be a better place than we're at now? I think that it would be better in certain areas but unexpectedly worse in other areas. I think accountability is is always a good thing. Uh, there needs to be accountability. That's uh, a biblical principle. It's something that we've seen is just a reality for humanity. I mean, we can look at how how things have changed in our lives since cameras came out, since people were able to start video things with their phones. You and I talked a little bit about this, but like, the phone has almost become a weapon for people. When somebody's about to do something, they pull their phone. I mean, look at it. They pull their phone out. And if somebody from the past came to the future, they would think those were guns in their hands. By the way they're pointing it at people and and watching every and tracking them, everything that they do, they would almost think that must be some kind of weapon that they're protecting themselves with. But all it is is you're you're giving accountability to whatever action that you're going to make right now. You're being recorded, and it's being recorded to a cloud. So even if you destroy this phone, I still have it. So what are you going to do next? And it's a threat to somebody because there is now evidence. There's, it's not my word versus your word anymore. It is now, okay, there is physical evidence showing that you cannot refute that whatever you're about to do, I've got it on video. And it's going to be out there. And so even if it can't be used in a court of law, your life's over. Like, even if I can't take you to court with this, I post this on the internet and everybody knows about it. So now anywhere you go, if it goes viral, there's you're 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 just seen that way from court of on. public opinion. Yeah. And so crucify you far worse than the court of law. Yeah. <laughs> and we're beginning to see that more and more. And it's a powerful tool. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure. I, I lean towards that we would be better off if there was tr- accountability and transparency and we took away where it, where it's logical, anyway. but we took away the quote-unquote right to privacy in the internet. Obviously not the, you, the right to privacy for your, you know, things like your social security number, you know, when you have to do utilitarian tasks that involve the internet but the the the, in a, the thought side of it right how we com- the communication side of it 
which is a, the biggest part of our lives day to day is like we communicate with people. But then you go to like text messages. Well, text messages should be private. Yep. And they don't necessarily have to involve the internet, but they kind of do. But I, I guess it comes down to the whole anonymous use of the internet. I, th- I tend to lean towards it would be a net benefit to do away with that. Which is interesting because a lot of people, especially probably that would listen to our podcast, yeah, don't realize how little of their information is not shared. It sure. would it would shock people that like just because it says incognito mode, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, <laughs> the more te- the more you learn about technology, the scarier it becomes. Because the things you're doing online. They know. Google knows. Microsoft knows. Your internet service your, provider. The government knows. I mean, all all of those places, they have... That's the thing about the internet. It has a trail to everything. Um, and, and that's where it's like, okay, right now, that can't be brought back up to attack us with. We can't... Legally you know, speaking. Legally speaking, yes. Still reputation and yeah, different things for sure, but... But like right now, there's 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 these uh, barriers that prevent that. So what if that was all removed? Now a lot of sites would probably go out of business if we're honest, <laughs> especially some of the ones that you shouldn't be visiting anyway. <laughs> you you visit there, you shouldn't be, and that's that's just the reality of it. But then we're also seeing that that those types of things, the 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 bad sites and things like that are becoming more and more public now. Like people are openly talking about them. And it's interesting how it started out private. Like no one would ever say like I I go to these sites or I do these things. I'd you say know. it still generally is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Especially on a on a uh public maybe forum. But yeah. but then you're still you still see a lot of people that are that are starting to say, well that's normal. Everyone does it. Yeah. And and but there's still that element of shame there. There is, yeah. That it's like, even if we know everyone does it, we're not going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The one yeah. that cracks me up is you hear these guys get hacked, Yeah. right? It, it, this is kind of goes into the technology portion of it. We're like, oh, nothing. You, It's on your phone or if it's on the internet, it's accessible. Yep. Somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. And the guys that get hacked, it's always the, the nude pictures yeah. that are like, the thing yeah it's like who cares like yeah. i want its bank account number or something yeah, you know? right? like but they always use the nude pictures and they're worried about that yeah they're always worried that's like the biggest thing yeah the most powerful guy in the world yes that's what he's worried about yeah right so funny side uh, note and it's interesting too because it you know it's almost like we have to remember that most of the people that come up with these things, create these technologies, the government knows about them before we do. Most. And so they've already made sure that no one's really going to become more powerful than they are with these things. And so what information are you okay with that the government knows that 
corporations know that all these different entities that we don't see, we don't communicate with on a daily basis. We, we don't even know the people that work there. What, what are we okay with them knowing, but then we don't want different categories from friends and family and other people to know, you know, and that, that, I think it comes down to social consequences. It doesn't matter who knows something if there's no social consequences tied to it. I mean, does it? We obviously don't care what the guy sitting at the NSA computer knows mm. about us because what is he going to do? One, he can't share it or he risks incriminating an organization, allegedly. Yes. Um, if it's outside of our social sphere, it just doesn't have any bearing on our life. You know, and that's why governments, corporations can get away with that. Because if there's no ramifications to us personally, we don't really care. Yeah. Whether we should or shouldn't care, that's a different story, and we'll get into that. But people just don't, they may say they care, but they don't really because they still keep engaging, keep using. And the scariest part is I think so many people would be for the government getting involved in certain situations. Right. If the government hears about a you know, young girls being transported and abused across the border, if they know that the government hears these through devices, they're saying, yes, go save those girls. It's like, well, hold on. Then if we're going to open that Pandora's box, that means anything you say in your home can also be used to incriminate you. And so then all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I want that to happen. And so here's what we're essentially saying, which is scary. Let those girls suffer so that I can have my privacy. That's a moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. Now, the laws are different regarding foreigners versus United States citizens, at least on the books, right? Well, we could just say it about American girls here, yeah, or something. Yeah, Yeah. I totally see your point. There are differences in, in how much surveillance is, is legally speaking allowed and what's admissible and unmissable. But yeah, that takes us into the, the whole government surveillance thing. And I've been, this has been in the back of my mind for years, ever since Snowden. Yeah. That was in two, that was 10 years ago. I was, I think 2014. Um, that was a big deal. It was. It was during the Obama administration. And for, for those who don't know or weren't even around when this <laughs> when this happened, makes you feel a little old. But basically, th- there was a guy at Snowden that worked at the NSA as a technologist. Right? He was a computer guy, systems, uh, uh, systems guy, and he would run. I read his book. I don't remember all the technical stuff, but, you know, he was a computer nerd, basically, that worked for the government. And through the course of working for the government, very patriotic, 
America first kind of an mentality that he had. And he discovered this system that was being used to essentially surveil American citizens without them knowing it, obviously. And this posed a, a dilemma to him. You know, the argument for it was that, oh, we need this technology to stop terrorist attacks or, you know, criminals. and But he firsthand saw how it was being used. Very secretive uh, program at the time. I think it was called Solar Winds. That seems to strike a bell. But so what he decides to do is he gathers a lot of evidence and then goes to flies to Singapore. I believe it was, I believe it was it might have been Hong Kong. Somewhere in Southeast Asia, he goes to meets with some of the top journalists in the world and says, I'm going to give you this information. Uh, and the government's view is he became a traitor because he gave away secrets. But my view is he's a whistleblower and he is saying, hey, this is a check on the power of the United States government. So he gives them the information. They spend several days interviewing him and then... Of course, the government's after him. You know, they want to throw him in jail and throw away the key. So he he was trying to get to a country that did not extradite back to the U.S. I want to say he was going for Cuba or Ecuador or somewhere in South America. And to get there, he had to fly through Russia. Because Russia was also a country at the time that did not expedite back to the U.S. And he gets to Russia in Shemitava Airport, and they canceled his passport. I said, you ain't going nowhere, said, buddy. You're not going in. The United States canceled his passport while he was in flight, landed at Shemitava Airport, and he was stuck there. Yep. And he's still stuck there to this day. Not in the airport, but yeah. in Moscow. Yeah, and even if America hadn't canceled his passport, he wasn't going anywhere as soon as he stepped on Russian soil. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, probably that's not. too many secrets. And an NSA guy, they know that. And it's just like that, that, that's that specialized in information. It's a gold mine. Oh know? yeah. And so there's no, but way. what a character. Yeah. In the story, in this surveillance story. Yes. Because, I mean, he was really the first one that said, hey, the government's watching you. Yes. And here's the proof. Mm -hmm. He was able to get that information out there and sacrifice his life, essentially, to do that. And the government still views him as a traitor Yep. to this day. There's been, I mean, this is three presidents ago now. None of them have granted him clemency. Yep. They still want to get them back here and throw away the key. Yeah, and, and I think, and I agree that the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Still. Sure, I think he he also knew very a lot of military things and some other things that he probably shouldn't have shared as well. So he well, might have overshared a he little. He didn't share everything. Yeah, he was very specific, and he and he talks about this in his book. That there was a lot of things that he did not, and he didn't he didn't share them in his book either. There's a lot yeah. of things that he that are still confidential to him. 
that are obviously detrimental to the safety and well-being of the country. But the things he did share, he shared just enough to prove what was going on. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, should we look at this guy as a hero? (laughs) I mean, if you take the, the populist view of it, he is. Yeah. Or is he a traitor? Mm-hmm. If you're to take the nationalist view of it, mm-hmm. it's like it's still ten years later. It's like I don't know. Yeah. This is this re- uncomfortable relationship we have with our government, and, and how much that they know about us, and how much that they watch us. Well, and the, and that's the thing too is is the more technology advances, the more if if the government wanted to start putting hidden cameras in all TVs, all t- cell phones, all technology. We would have no idea. Well, there are cameras in most technology. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly, and there there are already, and so there's already an internet connection to that, which can be hacked and surveyed, and probably Absolutely. is. And that's another thing people need to understand too: is be careful and understand that that information is going to somebody. Your phone, if it's turned on. Even if it's turned off, actually, yeah. Unless, uh, yeah, unless the battery's out, mm-hmm. yep. Then, then it can be recording everything you say, and all the video, and and that's the that's the 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 dilemma we have here because you can see the good for okay. Well, then all of a sudden there's this accountability to everyone, especially criminals that are going against the law openly, you know, and, and aren't. Are, are hiding it, but aren't hiding it that much, you know, and so that they could be tracked down through that information and be prosecuted. Uh, but then you also have the sense of, well, hold on. That's my own home. I don't always walk decent around in my home. I don't. Back to the naked pictures. Exactly. I don't. I don't. <laughs> no one wants naked pictures <laughs> yeah. out there. I, I don't. I don't always, you know, want everything that I say or discuss or if I lash out in anger to something that I see, read, or or do. I don't want that to be open in public. You don't want to be defined by any one moment in time. Yes. And now you can be. It's true. I mean, we've seen that, right? Yes, definitely. People, the whole, that's the whole, the whole Me Too thing was weird because obviously there was a lot of people that were rightfully persecuted on this the stage of pub, you know, the world, the world stage, the country stage, they were persecuted for the shameful things that they did. But there's also a lot of people that have been quote unquote canceled. Yep. Because they were defined by a specific moment in time that maybe they were weak and, or maybe they had a bad day or you name it. And we've all been there. Yep. Like if we were all defined by that, that particular day that we had, we would all be toast. So yeah, think of the absolute worst moment of your life that you've been. And imagine if that's all everyone saw. Like, because that's essentially what happened with these people is, and maybe they'd done worse things, but, but, but as a person thinking about and listening to this podcast, the worst thing you've ever done, okay, now that's, open for everybody to see that's power that is 
So when you look at the obtaining of that information or proof, owning that is, is a powerful thing. So that's why I say Stoden's a hero. Yeah. Because he showed, he at least showed everybody that they can get it. They have the access to it. They have this powerful thing now over you. Violation of your quote-unquote right to privacy. But then, that was 2014. Government. 2014 to now, people have forgot about the government. They don't even care anymore. China, the United States, who cares who's watching you? Now it's corporations. Yep. Now they have all, they're getting all this information and we're just giving it up to them. I was telling you earlier, it's like all my life I remember people were very leery of the government, especially in our conservative households. You know, it's a very common thing to be leery of the government, which is understandable in a lot of circumstances. The same people who were so leery of the government watching them turn right around and, you know, they download a new program from Google and terms and conditions, scroll, accept. You didn't even read them. Well, I'm not going to spend, you know. Who has? Who has? Think about it. I've read a few. Yes. They're rough. Yeah. I'll tell you this. They're they're not a good novel. They're tight. They are tight. They're small font, and they're really technical legalese. Mm Mm-hmm. And they are very rough to get to. You probably won't even understand them if you make it through. And they're specifically done that way on purpose. Absolutely. Yep. And that's a contract that you sign, by the way. When you when you click accept terms of service, that is a legally binding contract that you have en- now entered into. So in that terms of service, if it says, uh, yeah, we can, we can leave your camera on all the time and watch you, you know, do whatever... And then use that information for whatever we want. You sign, accept. Oh, now you're bound to that legal terms of service, and they they're, they have free reign, allow, legally speaking. Allow this app to use my microphone. That that's one of the, we commonly yeah. see that because we're thinking, oh, it's just wanting to use it for this. You know, no, that's mm-hmm. them saying I'm going to record you. Uh, iPhone has. If you this app wants to use your microphone. Mm-hmm. Allow only while using app or allow mm-hmm. all the time or allow once. This app wants to know your location. All like you st- and thankfully that they've started incorporating these permissions right off the bat. Yeah. But it's like, if I just th- accept, 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 now this app is tracking everything and I just, I let it. Like we went from, ah, the government's not going to watch me, you know, take a shower to, <laughs> We don't care what Google does. Yeah. So it's like, what's the difference? Seriously. Yeah. Really? What's the difference here? It's still the same power you're relinquishing over yourself if this is how you define power mm-hmm. or a way to define power. What's the result of that? So it's interesting because I I want to say that it's beneficial in certain areas. The accountability part of yeah, it? Yeah, the accountability part of it. We, and we talked a little bit about this, like like our parents. Uh, if there were cameras back in my day. 
Oh yeah, I hear if, that all the time. If there was, you'd We'd have seen all be some in jail stuff. if there you'd was cameras back in the day. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you haven't seen nothing. You know, is basically what they're saying. But the reason we haven't seen those things, I believe, a major reason is because of the accountability. Yeah, it's like, oh wait a minute, if I do this, if I say this, I might have to. Somebody might be videoing. I might have to back up later and, you know, explain what this is or this could be used against me in some way. And I think about that, too. Like, I drive a bus and there's cameras everywhere on it. And I agree with this one. Like, there should be cameras on a bus. Whether it's fighting between kids, whether it's how the adults are interacting with the children. You know, I think that's a that's a great spot to put it. But when I'm driving back to the bus barn by myself. Jamming out some tunes. I just forget that I'm being recorded, man. I'll be singing. I'll be, I don't want that going everywhere. I want everybody to be able to see that, you know? And I, I've been guilty of going through some podcasts and, and, and talking about it out loud to be like, okay, how's this sound? What do I think about this? You know? And, and it's just like, man, it's all being recorded. And, and I think we're getting closer and closer to a society where right now we're in the phase of everyone getting okay with being recorded. Everyone being okay with people knowing my information as long as it's not the people I care about. And, yeah. and then it'll get to the point where, all right, everything's recorded. And, and, and we're just, it, it makes life better and it makes things better. So, if we can't go back. Yeah, because it's Pandora's box. It's Pandora's box. There's no way you're putting it back. It's flung wide open. Yep. There's no way to put this genie back in the bottle. Nope. Is the answer 100% transparency, including Mm. your peers? Because if you all are at the same disadvantage, it negates. Cancels out, Right. If all of us had the same access to each other's information and embarrassing moments and whatever, then it does it all cancel out. And then the power dynamic fall to zero. Like this is just a a thought experiment, right? Yeah. If so, would, would morality improve or would it just become, yeah, everybody does all these things. That's the million dollar question. Yeah. It's like, Okay, does everybody clean their act up because there is no privacy? And and then we usher in a new age of of morality or does it just devolve into complete hedonism? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like that's never been a thing. Probably guess it would go to the hedonism route. <laughs> yeah. Knowing people. Knowing people because they could only hold themselves back for so long. I mean. Wow. I mean, and you can still choose to what you bring into your house. Yep. Itself. Like, okay, I'm going to, you know, it might get to the point where your actual house is your only, or you can choose at least that it's your only safe space. Or you're going to start, you know, how they have safe rooms, you know, 
for mm-hmm. criminal invasions right now it'd be a safe room from <laughs> technology yeah <laughs> to where it's soundproof and if you want to go in there and discuss something you can and you don't have to worry about it but that is interesting thought of if we just light bear it all out save for a specific place that we create like a safe room or a safe house we just bear it all out and anything that we we just know that anything that we do at all is completely bare and open to the public do you think that takes away the power that's obtained by these organizations and by the governments and by all of all of these people collecting that information and then possibly using it against us or using it to influence us if we just say fine everyone gets it well i i can't help you know and i always when you ask me some of these deep questions my foundation is the bible right and i really believe that's kind of what sodom and gomorrah was you think so yeah i think because of there's no way to read that passage and not think it was that way because you see the the not and it's not even so much the way the people were there cuz so the idea is is that two angels come they tell uh, lot that they're going to destroy the city while he they are telling him that the men of the city want Come and knock on Lot's door and say, hey, we want to abuse these people any way we see fit. And Lot says, don't do this. And, and Lot was a, at this point in time, somewhat revered person in society, an older man. So there was somewhat reverence there because of, uh, of his age. And, and it's said in, pa- in the passage, too, that he... he he lived in a specific area that gave him authority. But he, that's not what makes me think that everything was kind of open and just crazy at that time. What was the thing that makes me think that is that he openly in front of like everyone says, instead of taking these two men, take my two daughters who have never known a man and do with them what you see fit. And just like, how do you as a father, how does your everything degrade so low to where you're going to give up your, your children to be taken by these men? And, and so like morality in that city had degraded so bad to the point that nobody cared anymore. And there wasn't this, oh, oh, she's she's pure, that this, this, that. No, no, that was just everybody everyone did what they wanted. That's why they just came up to his door and knocked on it and said, Give us the men. We want to do with them what we want. There there was no hiding anything anymore. Everybody did what they wanted. Everybody knew that everybody did what they wanted. So just get used to it or or get out of here. And, and so I think, I think that's kind of a picture maybe of what that was. Um, 
And so, yeah. I so know. I can see the the right to privacy is possibly foundational to moral society. Foundational as well as I think there's this connection between believing that there's people that are good out there that aren't doing these things. Understanding and knowing that those people are out there gives us a shame that we're doing these things because they're choosing not to because they are living right or better or have a higher standard, whatever, however you want to describe that. There's this sense of, well, I don't want those people to see who I really am. And, and I think that that helps us to have this accountability and for the accountability to be effective. Ignorance is bliss. You yeah. don't want, you don't want to be exposed to the worst of everything. Mm-hmm. It's bad for your mind. And there are good people, I think, out there sure. that don't do a lot of things. There's and, a lot of bad people, and, and, and that's what I'm saying is, is all of a sudden it would be like, wow, all these people that haven't done these things. How do we not make them the major leaders of society because they've separated themselves from these things that the rest of us all have done? You know, how do we not put them on a higher pedestal, which is what I think happened with Lot is all these people are doing all these off. And then they see that Lot's not doing most of them, at least, because we know that it says his daughters never knew him. So there were standards there and there were there was a was a, a, a certain kind of living. And so these people that respected it. Um, it was there, and so he be, he naturally rose up and became that. And so I don't know, man. That's a that's an interesting connection there. Yeah, I could see where it falls apart. Yeah, quickly. It's like that the unknown unknowns, yeah, are important in that context of how we live and how we attempt to become better and, and more moral and more righteous people in general as a society, if that's there, not knowing a lot of things about other people is at the crux of that. Because mm. it's like, if we're all reduced to our base value of hedonistic self-serving you know debauchery then it's there's no higher standard yeah and if we know ever all the bad things about everybody we can be comfortable in them and i and i think and i hope i'm not there's no way to be confident because we can never verify it. But I would hope that there would be a correlation between people that believe in God and claim God, claim to know God, call themselves Christians. There would be a a different base level than with maybe people that don't and refute him. 
And I think every every person, a lot of people's moralities is formed the way they were brought up in a lot of different ways. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit works in us when and and God God works in us and that changes people truly. And and I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in many others' lives to where there's a real change and it sticks. And it doesn't stick because they want others to see them spiritual. It doesn't stick because they want their spouse to see this way. It, it's just a true change on the inside that causes the person to live a better standard. doesn't mean they're perfect. No, there's doesn't mean that the most awful things that you can imagine that no Christians do. Yes, there's, there's, there's some, especially that would claim to be Christians that do those things. But, but I would hope and I believe that the base level would be higher of where Christians fall to. When you become a Christian, your, your standards shift to the, the most perfect person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Yeah. Your, standards, Bible, yeah. your standard, your mode of comparison shifts to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. in the Christian and Christianity. That's the standard. And he is the, he is perfect. So when you center yourself on that standard, it's a striving for perfection, not a striving for this person's subpar standard or this sub person's subpar standard. You're striving internally. And obviously he doesn't, it's a spiritual thing because he's sure. not here on the earth. So you're striving towards this perfect mode or this perfect path singularly so regardless of who else is in your life you're you're pointed towards this perfection and i think that's what grounds people and the hope is that that would be that would lend itself to a overall higher morality than someone who's not oriented that way well and yet just somebody who who believes well we're all just cells yeah and we're all just made up together and every construct is society made and 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 so the, all the morals and everything those are all just illusions but they're they're things that are in place to keep order and so that life is as as wonderful as it can be for everyone but they're all constructed by humans yes and when they're all constructed by humans, then they would be subject to the same flaws as humans are subject to. So that means they're not perfect. So that means that we can tear them down and build new things or, or, or new constructs or new moralities. Well, and, and, and I think that's where the difference is, is why we see society seemingly continue to go down morally is because I think society is constantly comparing itself to itself. Yeah. To the people that are in it. And so somebody gets edgy and goes a little lower than what's normal in society. And then it becomes normal. It's a race to the bottom. Yeah. And it, and it goes down and it's, you can't go straight to the bottom because then you're crazy and awful and that's evil. But, but we slowly step by step go down. And, and that's where I hope there's a difference in the Christian, like you said, because it's got the constant comparison in the Bible of Jesus and who he was and what he taught 
so that it's not comparing itself, it's separating itself from society's structure and keeping itself somewhat as close as it can to what Christ's example was. So you would hope and believe, and I believe that the the base of morality wouldn't fall too much shorter than, or, or, or would be a lot higher than what the world's would be that way, or, or somebody that didn't believe in God. Because it's a perfect reference standard. Yep. There's this thing in measurement, because I've worked a lot in um, manufacturing and different areas where measurements are important when you're building things, when you're testing things. And there's a concept of measurement and accuracy where, okay, I have a tool that makes a measurement. Just say a tape measure, simpler tool. There's more precise tools, but I have a tape measure and I use that tape measure. It's, it's accurate. It's like, it's right on the money. And then I use that tape measure to, to construct another tape measure, right? And I build another tape measure or a ruler or something, and I use that tape measure. I make all the little marks on it. And now that ruler is, is the same as that tape measure. But if I keep doing that, and I use that ruler now, and I take that ruler and I make another ruler with it, and then I use that ruler and I make another ruler with it. I'm not precise enough in my making each of those marks. Eventually, after so many iterations, that ruler will be completely off. Just as a function of the constant reproduction and transfer. So that's why in manufacturing, we have standards. Like there's literal standards that we've all agreed upon and saying this object is the definition of a unit of measurement. And then we have very precise tools that we make based on that object. And then everything else is traceable and we track the measurement and accuracy of every iteration. But we can always come back to this standard. And that's how I view Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's that, that standard that kilogram standard mm, that sits mm. in the National Institute of uh, Measurement Technology or whatever, NIST, I can't remember the, what yeah. it <laughs> stands for. but He's that standard that we all compare directly to that. Like in manufacturing, all tools are supposed to be, in, in most programs, are supposed to be traceable to an NIST standard, mm -hmm. meaning that there's documentation that shows how it was the tool, the measuring tool itself was manufactured and calibrated back to that same standard, all traceable back to one thing. That's Jesus Christ. Yep. For the Christian is okay. Regardless of how I compare my life to Billy or to Joe or to Frank, I can compare directly to the standard, you know, and that's what can keep us oriented throughout time. That's why it's survived for thousands and thousands of years now is that it's a constant standard. Yeah. And, and I think that's where we, as a lot of Christians fall short too. Sure. Because we don't compare ourselves to that standard. We're comparing ourselves even to other Christians that are around us or, or other people in society. Oh, if they're doing that, then I'm fine. Or you take it the other way. Like, 
those those bad aspects of even in like Christian circles. Yeah. You know, a lot of the bad names that Christians get are misprints of certain things that have been passed down and passed down and and have gotten slowly worse and worse because maybe they started here but they ended up here and it's totally off from that Jesus Christ standard. Yes. It's completely off, but it's so it's like up. That's what we're comp- we're using that tenth ruler to try to compare to. We need to go throw all those away and go back. Yeah, that's hard. It is for us, and it's it's something that that I think it needs to be done, and it's commendable to those who are even trying to do it. Yeah, because if you look at I don't know if you've ever seen um, somebody. We all have grandparents, and we're gone over time, so I'm going to make it short. But I remember seeing my grandma interact with her cell phone for the first time. Like a smartphone? Yeah, smartphone. And she has no idea, like, how to navigate that thing. But she's got certain buttons memorized that she knows, okay, if I want to get to my... Facebook Messenger, this is, I tap this, this, and this, and then I'm there, and I can see it, and I can talk to people, and, and so she figures out certain, but it's commendable to me that she's trying, you know what I mean, like, yeah, I can navigate circles, and she'll never even be close to where I am, you know, uh, of efficiency, but the fact that she's trying, and she's not just, "Ah, I don't get those things. And just giving up, you know, to me, that's like, wow, that's, that's impressive to me because that, that makes me think, okay, you know what? If she can try to do that, then I can try to do things that I might think, oh, that's, it's too tough. There's no way I can handle that. But really it's like, try, try first before you think it's impossible, you know, and yeah, it's it, it is an interesting thing when it comes to that that moral standard and all goes back to that accountability and the privacy of what we So is privacy needed? I think so. I think it's a good thing. And I think it's and I think it's going to require a lot more discussions. Yes. And a lot more research and a lot more accountability to determine how we move forward with this technology and how we integrate privacy. And I think it is, that is a topic, yeah, uh, a, a rather large topic in the, the internet yeah, of people with concerns about it, people that are doing things to try to, you know, at least attempt to integrate privacy into that that world yeah because i i've i see it so often and i think technology is moving so much faster than society is able to to even wrap its mind around to be able to think of well what are the dangers with this technology we're so into like Look what we can achieve with this, you know, almost like the science fair, like, all right, all these technologies companies are pushing the boundary, pushing the boundary, pushing the boundary. It's like, 
well, wait, who's who's even holding them in check? Like, like, and I think AI was a big wake up call with that. Like, like, wait a minute. Like, this is something we could be creating that could actually kill us all. Like, slow down. We need to we need to take a minute and say, okay, what are the good and the bad versus you know all these things? And and I think that's that's something that with privacy that I think Snowden was a huge wake up call with that. Like, okay, hold on. You guys don't understand how fast this technology has gone to where there's countries all over the world that are hearing everything you're talking about and, and you don't even know it. And there's no way you can know it, you know, and, and just how he's like, understand the risk that you take by carrying around those cell phones and, and those things. And, and so, yeah, it's interesting. Wild stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we beat that horse. Yeah. That was interesting. Nice. I enjoyed that. All right. I guess we'll, what are we going to talk about next time? We shall see. All right. Till next time. Thanks for Thanks listening. Thanks for watching and listening. Yeah. <laughs>